0: On this episode of Waterflying, you'll join me and my staff for the Great Loop adventure that we recently completed in my Piper Super Cub on Amphibs. You are listening to Waterflying, a show dedicated to all things seaplanes. Brought to you by the Seaplane Pilots Association. My name is Steve McCoy. I'm the executive director of the Seaplane Pilots Association, which is the world's largest nonprofit advocacy organization dedicated to the protection and promotion of the water flying community. Climb aboard. We're about to start today's episode. Well, welcome back to Water Flying. I am joined by Slade Rosamont. Hey, how you doing? Carter Clay. Hey
1: guys, how's it going?
0: and Peter Christie. Hey, how you doing? Hey, we all just had the great pleasure of embarking on what is known to boaters as the Great Loop, and that is basically flying from Florida or boating up from Florida to Maine across to the Great Lakes and back down the Mississippi and back to Florida. And for the boating community, that's referred to as the Great Loop, and it is an aspiration of many passionate boaters and yachters. Uh, we had the opportunity to do this trip, only we did it with a seaplane. And uh, uh, Slade, Carter, and Peter each took uh, one leg of the trip, uh, which was done over five months uh, it was over 80 hours of flying, over 5,000 miles, and, and, and included 40 uh, different legs of flying. So uh, I thought it'd be nice to share this adventure with you guys. Uh, it was a dream come true for me, and it was nice to work it in to the Seaplane Pilots Association mission, where we actually did uh, Seaplane Pilots Association business along the way, which made it really enjoyable. So, Slade, you're up first. Hey, so
2: uh, our leg that we were doing was eventually ending up in uh, New Hampshire for a advocacy uh, fight that we were uh, trying to keep 19 Mile Bay of Lake Winnipesaukee open. Um, So we ended up taking, I think, uh, five different stops before uh, we ended up getting to uh, Mirror Lake, which is where we were staying um, for the battle up in New Hampshire.
0: Yeah, yeah. So we literally, uh, we were battling uh, some aircraft maintenance issues. We were trying to wrap up my 100-hour because we literally had a deadline. We had a public hearing to be at on Thursday, July 7th, I want to say? July 6th, I think. 6th. Yeah. And so we literally worked uh, the week before and through the weekend through a gear issue. Of course, we were wrapping up the airplane and did the gear swing and uh, ended up with some... uh, Fictitious problems, but indicated problems. Uh, We resolved those and literally got the airplane wrapped up the night before departure, uh, very late at night after working all day, being covered in hydraulic fluid, and uh, literally left at 4.45 a.m. on July 3rd, Monday, July 3rd.
2: Yep. And what was supposed to be a you 30, 45-minute pre-flight checking out the airplane the day before turned into three to four hours of trying to troubleshoot uh, a hydraulic issue with the gear, uh, yeah. pumping out the floats, and we pump out hydraulic fluid. And, of course, the right before the day before.
0: Yeah, so we went into high gear. We were trying to just prep the airplane so it would be ready for an early morning departure, have it fueled, have the oil checked, clean the windows, do everything we needed to do. The 100-hour had just been completed and signed off, and uh, then we power everything up and, um, uh, pump out the, the uh, floats and there's hydraulic fluid in the floats.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, right off the bat, it was a question of, were we going to be able to get out the next morning? Um, or were we going to have to cancel the whole trip? And thankfully it turned get out to get
0: an airline be flight up. So yeah.
2: <laughs> and thankfully it turned out to be a non-issue and we were able to get out at, like I said, four forty-five AM the next morning.
0: Yeah. And so, um, traveling in the super cub and specifically on this trip but now it's become kind of the standard way we travel um you know we're carrying spares tools uh photo gear podcast gear uh and and all of our stuff on top of it so getting into weight and balance and getting everything into the airplane uh is a challenge and uh uh but i have to tell you as soon as we took off i felt so much better it was it was night it was completely dark um and we got underway and had a beautiful sunrise uh over jacksonville i think as we yeah. were flying north and uh stopped in metter georgia uh which was about 3.4 hours uh north uh it was a really good fuel stop got in there around eight fifteen in the morning
2: yeah and We were like the only ones there day before fourth of July, so everybody was out getting stuff ready and that was a really nice airport. You know, had a little shack that we stopped in, used the bathroom. There's nobody around. Um, ended up finding one of our water flying magazines in there. and just (laughs) hanging out in the shack. We didn't drop it off. Clean restroom. Clean restroom. Very important. Clean restroom. (laughs) Yeah, so that was that was a that was a good stop. Um, and then our second stop. Um, was in Montgomery County, North Carolina, correct? Yeah,
0: and that was about uh, three hours uh, north, and uh, that was kind of the opposite experience. (laughs) Yeah, no, there
2: was nothing around, just the fuel pumps surrounded by a chain link fence, no bathrooms, no nothing, Uh, just had to get, you know, we took a little bit of a snack break around there. Um, and found a bathroom where we could and, uh, fueled <laughs> essentially up the, the fence. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that one was just a quick turn. Didn't spend no time, you know, talking to nobody or, you know, we just got the plane fueled up and went on to the next one. Um, and our third stop was our final stop for the first day on July 3rd, um, in Lynchburg uh, Virginia. Yeah,
0: Lynchburg. but there was some interesting stuff along the way. There were some really big mines that yeah. we flew over. There was a massive crater mm-hmm. uh, that we kind of diverted over to sea. And uh, then we started getting up into the mountains and uh, it was a really pretty flight. Unfortunately, we were watching the weather radar and uh, we had hoped to get further, further up uh, yeah. that day. And we really had to terminate the day uh, pretty early, but we still had... Uh, Uh, let's see we did a 3.4 hour leg a three hour leg and a 1.8 hour leg so we had a pretty good day it was just that we were hoping to do more and uh, make it
2: easier on the next day but it ended up being almost a 50 50 split i think we flew a little bit more on the second day
0: Um, yeah yeah so i've got the totals we'll take a look at that i have to tell you though uh it was an unexpected stop but lynchburg virginia uh was a great stop uh uh the uh FBO was spectacular. They really worked with us. 7,100-foot runway. Yeah. Which I I thought we were going to be, you know, show off. And and we landed kind of like to a full stop on the numbers. And then we had to taxi for three quarters of a mile
2: yeah yeah Steve decided to be a good idea yeah let's uh, let's land before the first taxiway and then she tells us to exit you know she had a taxi all the down. way down the runway <laughs> yeah halfway down she's probably you know that'll show them to land right on the numbers <laughs> <laughs> but yeah Lynchburg was beautiful a, extremely clean airport um, they were really good to us um, had no problem with us taking the crew car for as long as we wanted um and it was absolutely beautiful and you know they're asking us questions on the super cub because they don't see amphibious amphibious uh aircraft over there too often so we had quite a few guys come and talk to us um about seaplanes and the association and about them potentially getting their rating had one guy say that he was uh looking into uh alaska floats and skis up in alaska yeah, yeah so, so that that's kind of cool. cool yeah, yeah.
0: That's awesome. So uh, we overnighted up there, uh, did not get an early start the next morning, which was a little disappointing. (laughs) Yeah. But uh, uh, on day two, uh, we left uh, Lynchburg, I don't know, around nine o'clock in the morning, something like that. We slept in a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Ended up going up to Penn Valley, which is in uh, Sellens Grove, Pennsylvania. And that was on July 4th. Yes. Uh, so um, we get up there, and they were having a, a picnic at the FBO or at the airport for 4th of July, and uh, they really didn't have anything to say to us
2: <laughs> no no I, I walked up first to use the bathroom and all I got was was people looking at me and uh, you know I said hello to a couple people and I may have gotten a, a slight hello back but they you know I had to ask the bathroom and they were really begrudging to even give me directions to the bathroom the guy
0: inside was nice but yeah. the, but the the, the group pilots, outside. yeah, the group outside was weird. And yeah, I was, was,
2: and we all we had was snack food, and our first stop was, you know, around lunch. And normally I would never take a hot dog if somebody offered it to me, but I was in my head just begging for them to offer me a hot dog. <laughs> yeah, I was so hungry. And of course, you know, and I feel like down in the South, everybody would just you know, immediately hey you, you want something yeah. off the grill and I was hoping for that same kind of hospitality, but I was sorely disappointed. I <laughs>
0: said hello as we walked by and, and wished everyone a, a f- happy Fourth of July and they never even responded no. to me. I, and that's a really unusual experience within the flying community. yeah I yeah. was
2: I was stunned by it. I had never been to an airport where people they were just so unwelcoming. I don't know <laughs> I hate to say that, but it, it was it was a different experience for sure at that airport. But it was and the other cool part about the airport was that it was uh, surrounded on all sides with uh, with corn,
0: literally. Yeah. I mean, like up to the taxiway where the wing of the Super Cub was over corn. Yeah, yeah, uh, <laughs> and there was no fence, no visit- yeah. I didn't see any fence around no, the airport. There was
2: no fence. It was, and
0: uh, the corn literally came. I mean, if. if- Literally came up to the taxiway,
2: taxi yeah, and you look out and you could just see the the farmhouse where the guy who owned it was growing all the corn and everything. So it, it was it was kind of a cool airport, um, with the with the slight exception. But I, you know, I thought that that was kind of neat.
0: And one of the things uh, going up there, um, we had to navigate around the Washington D.C. airspace, yep, uh, and we started getting into the Allegheny Mountains, which was just. Uh, tremendously beautiful i had never flown over that part of the country
2: oh no me neither that was my first time going in a a small airplane uh up up the uh the east coast into new england and it was just the whole trip was absolutely breathtaking um from the mountain views to just all of it i had never been able to see uh new england from that kind of point of view um you know three thousand four thousand feet up in a super cub
0: yeah Yeah. so it was was, amazing it was really nice yep and then uh we left uh uh, pin valley uh, and headed up to Albany, New York, uh, to South Albany Airport in particular. Um, and I wanted to give all the the identifiers for all these airports. So Penn Valley was SEG Sierra Echo Golf. And we headed from there up to 4 Bravo uh, Zero, uh, which was 2.6 hours. Um, but we took off out of uh, Penn Valley and f- flew along the river to gain altitude over the mountains. Uh, and to stay over water uh, right. uh so we could land, there was a river going north and south there, and right uh, after we took off, we, yeah. we ended
2: up seeing this place it's and there was a, a
0: really cool airport, yeah, yeah.
2: just a little time. Ty- it is like an island in the middle of the uh, in the middle of the river with a little community on it, and they had a uh, a pretty big grass strip on there. Outlined with uh, with like white paint buckets, <laughs> yeah. And which even in the AFD it says, uh, "Watch out for groundhog
0: holes on the right side of the runway." Mm-hmm. And the runway is out uh, outlined with white buckets, white buckets. Yeah. So that was uh, Sunbury Airport in Pennsylvania at seventy one November, and it um, it was thirty two hundred and fifty feet long with. Uh, grass strip that was 250 feet wide and it had like uh, RV camping spots uh, all the way around the uh, uh, airstrip. And again, it was on this Island that was not much bigger than the runway and the camping sites.
2: Oh yeah. Most of the Island was the runway. I would say probably, you know, two thirds of it was just dedicated to the runway. So it was a really interesting little community that we had no idea about before we took off, we just looked down and we're like, "Wait, that looks like it could be a runway." And then we yeah. look on four flight, yeah. we're like, "That's because it is a runway."
0: <laughs> so uh, from Penn Valley again, we headed up to South Albany, uh, and again, this was really cool because this was virgin ground for me. This was uh, uh, areas of the country that I had never flown over, and um, it was uh, it was really interesting. I'd never been to Albany, New York. Uh, we were going up to South Albany, and. Uh, That airstrip uh, was pretty hard to find. It was in an industrial area, and the runway was only twenty eight hundred feet. Not a problem for the Super Cub, but um, it was it was pretty uh, camouflaged. Yeah, because the most part of the airport
2: there was just had airplanes sitting on it, and so it kind of blended into the industrial park with the uh, because they didn't have any real hangars. It was just mostly like overhangs um like little carport looking things so it really blended in it was hard to see the runway and tell that from the difference from that from a road um but you know once we got in it was a nice quaint little airport we had trouble with the with the fuel hose. the fuel
0: hose was jammed and yeah. it took quite a bit i didn't think i i, I was betting we were not going to get it out right. and finally <laughs> due to your persistence <laughs> uh we got it out and uh then ended up in a really nice conversation with some of the locals, and I think they really appreciated. Even though we were in a hurry, yeah. uh, we sat and talked to the locals for quite a while. With uh, and
2: they had known, they knew our uh, Steve Williams by some connection. I, I'm struggling to remember yeah, now, but they had met Steve Williams, uh, the, our uh, chairman of the board, um, at once before at Oshkosh or somewhere. Greenville or somewhere. But they had they had known of of, of Steve and of SPA through the grapevine which was kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, and they were, they were super they happy had no to idea have us. They the thought we were celebrities. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so that was pretty cool. Uh, and then for the f- third flight of the day, uh, we took off out of South Albany and headed up to uh, November Hotel 64, which is uh, T.R. Wood, uh, his uh, seaplane base up on Muir Lake. And uh, uh, after we got out of Albany, uh, climbed up over the Adirondack uh, Mountains and... Uh, Coming over the mountains, we got our first view of Lake Winnipesaukee and uh, then went into Mirror Lake where T.R. Wood uh, lives. And uh, that was a just beautiful. Uh, yeah, that was probably the easiest leg of, of all of it, maybe because
2: it was the last one. And I was you know <laughs> really looking forward to finally doing some water landings. But that, yeah, flying into New Hampshire and into Mirror Lake, that was just a beautiful, just the Lake Winnipesaukee is beautiful. Uh, is, just majestic of how large it is and how many activities and things that they've got going around in that area. And then getting on the water, just I, I was in shock and awe at the beauty of this of Lake Mirror Lake in particular and of the, you know, T.R. Woods lake house. It was just it was like an oasis. I don't know. I had never been to somewhere like that where it was just so scenic and peaceful
0: yeah it was really nice, and of course we left on july third and uh in a super cub on Amphibs, getting up to New Hampshire in two days is is a fair amount of flying uh and we had headwinds and we were dealing with other issues uh so it was it was a solid two days um and we got up there literally just before sundown and rushed to Manaz's house, who was uh engaged in our uh uh, public hearing uh, fight that we had there for uh, 19 Mile Bay. And she had thrown this huge party, yeah. uh, had tons of food that was like gourmet. She was level. a great host. Yeah, a great host and had this huge uh, group of people, including the local police and everything else and put on a magnificent firework show right on lakeside there. Yeah. for us which was just amazing. And uh that was a great way to get welcome to Lake Winnipesaukee. Absolutely. Um and and 180 degrees in contrast to what we would experience at the public hearing. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> for sure. <laughs> so uh we've already had a podcast uh go back and listen to the podcast on uh the fight for 19 Mile Bay, but that is why we were flying up there uh for the hearing. And uh, that was our stress point is to get there in time for the hearing and to prepare for the hearing. And we went and visited the, the Loon Nature Center and tried to learn as much as we could that we didn't already know about loons and just prepare for this public hearing, which again was a uh, a interesting
2: event. Definitely, definitely.
0: The animosity
2: <laughs> in that gymnasium. I've never felt something quite like that before.
0: So uh, 350 people that were anti-seaplanes, all wearing uh, anti-seaplane shirts, uh, runaway, no way shirts uh, with a seaplane on it. And uh, you got your first time to get up and speak at a public hearing in defense of seaplanes.
2: Yeah, no, there was a lot of a lot of uh, hearsay and just conjecture going around. And I, I, I just sat there and I was like, you know, I was taking notes of of the ridiculous things that I was hearing and just kind of my response to it. I was like, you know, I'm just going to get up here at the end. I I wasn't on the docket to speak, but I just feel like, you know, I'm going to get the last word in edgewise uh, and just hopefully kind of set some minds straight on just the kind of misinformation that they had been told or had perceived. Um, but yeah, that was my first experience uh, going to an advocacy fight and then actually getting to speak in it, which was unexpected, but I'm glad that I did. It was and an you did a great job.
0: Thank you. So, uh, we got done with the public hearing next day, got up, we had to move on. We boogied. We had an yeah. airline flight to catch that night, and uh, we left in the morning and uh, off of Mirror Lake. Um, TR took off in front of us. We hooked up, did some formation flight with some photos and video work. And uh, could not help but go do a touch-and-go at 19 Mile Bay. Yeah, I just had to <laughs> tease the waters a little bit. Yeah, went and splashed down, not a full stop,
2: splashed down in uh, 19 Mile Bay and then took off. We got some good photos and then took off and uh, said farewell to TR and his son and Everett. And then we uh, took off towards uh, Maine.
0: Yeah, so we uh, uh, ended up going up to Brunswick where the airplane would be stored Um, And that's always a a fun thing. So along the way, there's some mountains to cross. And uh, we uh, again, another first, I got to land in Lake Sebago, uh, which is a very famous lake for seaplane activity in Maine. Uh, Always wanted to go there, always wanted to land in it. So we got to do that on our way up to uh, Brunswick, um, which was a former Navy base. uh, And among other things, they had a, a huge a fleet of P3s operate out of there. So that was yeah. a, another 8,000-foot runway for the Super Cub. Yeah, that I one
2: had, felt really tiny to be <laughs> honest. That airport felt huge coming into land in the Super Cub.
0: <laughs> so, uh, yeah, a lot of these airports we went to, uh, we you know, it was really questionable whether we could operate oh, on 8,000 feet or not. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> But uh, we got there, and Steve Williams was waiting for us and uh, ushered us into what was a, a P3 hangar. Yep. Uh Maintenance hangar. And uh, they had a bunch of GA airplanes in there because the uh, West Costa airport was not open. They had been repaving the runway and um, it had not reopened uh, since it was repaved. So we had to uh, stop at Brunswick and they had taken a lot of the airplanes out of there. So there were a couple seaplanes in there and some other GA stuff and uh, headed over, had some lunch, literally sitting in uh, Right underneath the P3. P3 there uh, with a great uh, co-op food place that was on the former base. Uh, and then went and visited uh, uh, Paul over at Claymar Floats and uh, got a tour of uh, uh, Claymar for you. It had been the yeah. first time you had been to Brunswick or to Claymore. Well, that's the first time that I had
2: been to a float manufacturer, uh, period. Okay. So it was really yeah. interesting to see, especially on the composite side, to see how they formulate and put together these, these uh, floats um, for the air cam and for other aircraft as well.
0: Yeah, so... Uh, You know, if you haven't been to Brunswick, uh, they've turned it into a technology incubator for businesses, and uh, they have all these, like, different bays with, you know, just amazing, uh, you know, whether it's 3D printing or foam cutting machines, welding uh, bays. Anything that you could imagine. imagine. And it's there for the businesses who pay for it by the hour, huge Uh, composite ovens to bake composite structures in yeah Uh, probably
2: like what 20 by 20 feet oh it was was huge huge. yeah Yeah, i had to ask you know what was the largest pizza that they had baked in there
0: (laughs) confidential they wouldn't let me know so uh uh you had five days on the trip uh wish it was longer we left on monday morning uh came home friday night uh 17.9 hours of flying um i was going to total up how many states we crossed uh the whole trip uh all the way around was 25 states uh so literally half of the united states was covered on this trip uh you did the first leg the first five days um we rushed to the airport then Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) yeah got to the
2: to the airport in in maine and we're sitting around getting ready to board and uh we didn't get on the aircraft just yet or maybe we did we we're actually, just about uh, to board just about to board
0: and then they and tell get a us, text uh, yes. uh saying uh, there was a, a crash uh yes. at the airport <laughs> the 152 had uh, had i think bad landing, landing or bad, bad landing and like the gear had completely collapsed airplane in was the uh broken half and uh closed the airport as we were trying to get out um and uh, in, needless to say, there were some other things that happened along the way, but it was uh, it was a great first leg. We parked the airplane there on that Friday, uh, first week of July. Uh, flew home, uh, got all the three of us, or all the four of us that are sitting here immediately went into pack up mode to get to Air Venture to go work Air Venture, and uh, then uh, came back. We from Air Venture first week of August had August, and then uh September uh Labor Day weekend September 5th uh Carter and I left uh to go up to the Greenville splash in with Peter so uh um we'll try to go through this this is, and there's a lot to cover here to do this in one podcast and we had talked about breaking it up but I wanted to try to get it where everyone could uh experience the whole thing so uh, guys thanks for joining us and thanks for uh uh, coming up to, uh, uh, Greenville, uh, for our annual event up there.
3: Greenville's great. I, I just, I love that community and they just had some wonderful flying in Lobster Lake. They had 42 planes went in there to Lobster Lake. Uh, I've that was got, the day of the
0: poker run on right, Friday.
3: Yeah, and, uh, it's just a great week. So, and Carter, you it was your first experience.
1: That's up my there. first time up in Maine ever. So I never been up there, um, It was a great flight up there. It was a great experience. Met a lot of cool people, um, running the booth and just seeing Greenville and that area out there was absolutely incredible. So,
0: yeah. So we went out on Monday. I can't remember.
1: Uh, You left on Labor Day. Labor Day. Day, Yeah. On
0: Monday. Yep. And then, uh, Tuesday morning. Uh, well, I know Monday night we got there like 11 o'clock at night. We hadn't eaten. We tried to find a place to eat. The hotel was not what we expected. We settled for a cold Burger King is what we settled for. <laughs> and it was like the worst roach motel ever uh, that we stayed in. I, and I, I got lied to. We'll just put it that way. And uh, But uh, Carter and I, uh, it was Carter's uh, first time up there. And, I, of course, I'm a huge O.L. Bean fan. And um, always have to make an annual trip when we go up for Greenville. So at 2 a.m., uh, we were the only ones walking around the O.L. Bean uh, place in Freeport there, the flagship store.
1: Yeah, we had to see the boot, the hunting store, the home goods store, the clothing store, um, and then top it off. Just nice, cool weather, a break from the Florida humidity and some nice mist to top it off as well.
0: Yep. Next morning, we got up, uh, went to Wisconsin, and and we were just worried because there was fog, there was low ceilings, and uh, I just didn't know if we were going to be able to get out. Um, But ultimately, Peter, uh, you headed up to the Birches uh, driving, and uh, then Carter and I, uh, I don't know, it was mid-afternoon by the time we finally decided to Pull the trigger. The clock, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, we got out and uh, left, uh, Wisconsin and, uh, headed up to the, uh, Birches. Um, a yeah, beautiful flight through Maine, uh, but low, uh, under the ceilings. And, uh, of course, we got to Greenville at the south end of Moosehead Lake and had to do a couple of touch and goes, uh, there just where you fly in over the town and, uh, uh, do the uh, the landing that uh, everyone uses there for the seaplane event, and of course, again, this is the largest seaplane event in the world uh, in Greenville, Maine, every uh, weekend after Labor Day weekend uh, up in Greenville at Moosehead Lake.
1: So that was the those first approaches coming into Moosehead Lake, kind of scary. I'll tell Steve it kind of scared me a little bit. I'm like, I think I can just reach my arm out the window and touch the, those buildings real quick. But it was a, an incredible experience coming into Greenville and in that small town, that one stoplight. There what you said it used to be uh portable and now it's permanent. Yeah, yeah, they've
0: got a hanging one now. They used to like uh, bring one in on a trailer, uh, then for a stoplight for the weekend of the, the splash in. Then uh, we went up to Mount Kenio and landed in the bay up there. That's always a huge thrill.
1: I think we sat there for what, 20, 30 minutes just, <laughs> just looking, looking at that rock face and it was just like and then as we got closer we we're just looking up, we're like, Holy cow, this is in the middle of a lake and
0: 800-foot vertical uh, granite wall uh, coming out of the deepest part of the lake, which is this little protected bay. It's just absolutely amazing. So uh, uh, Wednesday, we took you guys out. Uh, Peter, I think you had been out to the B-52 crash site before.
3: Yeah, so we did it last year, and then we did it this past year as well. Yeah, yeah,
0: and then uh, you had never been out to it, so I always try to take people out to see that. Uh, So there's a B-52 crash site. You had some of the information on it, Carter, um, but it's out on a dirt road up, up a mountain in the middle of nowhere. and uh,
1: Yeah, January of 1963. I mean, I, I wasn't even a thought back then. I don't even know if my dad was a thought back then either. <laughs> um, but cold, cold winter night, but some turbulence off the mountains caused a vertical stabilizer failure. Um, and it's actually the only plane crash where a person who ejected from the aircraft survived without the parachute opening, which is actually really interesting. The snow. Um, fortunately saved that gentleman's life and the other pilot um, was able to another pilot was able to eject and the first night they spent out there uh while getting waiting for rescue it was negative 29 degrees fahrenheit so and he was hanging crew. from a
0: parachute the one uh pilot was hanging from a parachute from a tree from yeah. a tree
1: yeah and it was a, uh, and they've survived and one i believe the gentleman who uh survived the ejection he was like all right i'm done I'm going to get out of the air force. And so he did. And then the other gentleman was like, all right, I'm going to finish my career. And, and went and on, went on. Yeah.
0: So uh, it's a very interesting place. If you haven't been there, it's pretty somber. Uh, I I don't think uh, it, it's a great example of just how violent and how big a debris field can be from uh, a plane crash, like a B-52 crash. And there's still landing gear and uh, pieces of wing and engine and, just it's amazing how much is there still. And even the green
1: primer is still on some of the plants, yeah. too.
0: Uh that. cable assemblies, wiring.
3: Uh we have t- tires uh
1: yeah.
0: laying around. Yeah, the, so uh all kinds of stuff. And uh uh for the most part people have respected it. Uh we you know, there's signage asking people not to take anything from the crash site, uh that people did perish in it and it you know, in honor of them. Uh, Please don't remove anything, Uh, but it is a large debris field in the woods, and there's pieces of airplane that have, as the trees have grown up, uh, they've picked up pieces of the the, uh, crash material and carried it up in the tree as it's grown, and so there's things hanging in the trees, and uh, it's something to see if you've never been there, so if you ever go to the uh, splash-in at Greenville, Maine, um, definitely uh, put it on your list to go out to the uh, B-52 crash site. It's uh, something worth seeing. Um, then Thursday we set up the booth and, uh, parked the, C, uh, Super Cub over at the seaplane base. So we'd be, uh, there for, uh, the poker run the next day, Ernie and Joyce Sanborn joined us. Uh, they always, uh, generally have, uh, a long history of helping us at the event, setting up the booth and working the booth with us. And then, uh, Friday, uh, I got to participate, I think in my first poker run there, uh, and that's where Lobster Lake, we had the 40-some airplanes uh, out on the white sandy beach out there. But um, uh, that was a great event. Uh, unfortunately, I had a solenoid issue as we came out of Lobster Lake. Uh, my starter solenoid uh, started to fail, and we kind of limped the airplane back to the birches, uh, where it kind of rode out the rest of the event, unfortunately, as we got a starter uh overnighted to us. So we'd be there on Monday and uh, tried to work out the solenoid issues. Uh, luckily, uh, we had John Pratt from Alaska, who has a an Alaska uh, maintenance operation. And he's on our board and one of our field directors, and he was at the event. And uh, so I had my own captive A&P in the middle of nowhere uh, up there at the Birches. And John and Tanya were incredibly accommodating, as always, in, in providing us what we needed to get the airplane out of the water and, and work on it. So uh, Saturday, uh, Carter, you got to experience Greenville for the first time.
1: That was awesome. I, had, I don't think I've seen so many seaplanes in one place. I mean, Oshkosh, it, uh, Lake Winnebago, it comes close, but even still Greenville was just absolutely incredible with how many seaplanes were there. Um, the participation from the crowd, the support from everyone there, um, it was absolutely incredible to see so many people there just for seaplanes
0: yeah and a shout out to telford uh alan who uh uh really uh he hosts the dinners there he uh invited me up for a f- uh, flight in his helicopter to take photos and i still owe him photos so telford if you're listening uh you'll get those photos uh, we've been super super busy <laughs> and uh, i've got fo- uh, hundreds of photos for you that we took in that flight uh, so, uh, then Sunday, uh, we have the AeroSet uh, sponsored uh, member breakfast, uh, on the Katahdin. Uh, so again, another first for you. Peter's attended it before, and uh, we crammed in a whole bunch of podcasts. We had John, uh, from the Birches, um, and we did an interview with him for our podcast. We interviewed uh, Tom Wood, uh, TR Wood for, um, uh, Coverage because we had just got the the message that we had won the the hearing uh nineteen mile bay. And then we had Roger uh from Courier's uh flying service and so crammed in three podcasts before leaving. Um and uh then on Monday morning we we flew over to Peter left and uh drove back to the airport. Sorry, you got the uh, illustrious duty of driving cars while we got to fly
1: that's the whole lucky part of me being 23 i'm not old <laughs> enough to drive rental cars yet so
3: and and the car could carry all the leftover stuff that had to go back to the office exactly <laughs> thank you guys for that
0: yeah so you got to schlep all this stuff you're our uh, chief schlepper i thought that was supposed to be his job i'm not of age yet so, uh, anyway, uh, thankfully, uh, we had coordinated with, uh, Keith, uh, strange, uh, from PK and he invited us to come over to PK floats in Lincoln, uh, to replace the uh, starter solenoid. And we were able to get the airplane started and, uh, he was waiting for our arrival and, uh, very quickly went into action and, uh, uh, replaced the solenoid, so we could continue on our journey. If not, we were going to be stuck looking for a solenoid because I didn't feel comfortable uh, going any further with uh, the way ours was acting. So, uh, a shout out to PK Floats and Keith Strange uh, for being very gracious and and helping us out. Um, and uh, got that starter solenoid in in short order. Got to spend some time with Joe Duke with his new uh, Carbon Cub and with a gorgeous set with that you'll read about of floats for his uh, carbon cub. Uh, they made a, a very unique set of floats for his carbon cub to fly in salt water. And uh can't wait to do a story in Waterflying Magazine on that and and also a podcast. But then we had a rush down to Wisconsin and uh, spent the night down there, uh, spent a day literally working uh, out of the hotel, just catching up on some work. And uh, when-
1: Mani- Minnesota getting ready.
0: Yeah, yeah, because we were- Literally doing the, the uh, presentations that I had to uh, uh, give in Minnesota where we were in transit to. So uh, the the kind of the scenario here was uh, Slade flew up to Maine. Uh, Carter, you were flying from Maine to Minnesota. Yep. And then Peter was going to do the leg from Minnesota back to Florida. and uh, But we went to a dinner, which was kind of cool with Steve Williams, by boat. Uh, he lives in West Gossett, and uh, I remember I had two very good lobster Talk about tails. The mist, <laughs> <laughs> yes, oh my the goodness, fog. So very, <laughs> very thick fog. You saw your first seals in the wild.
1: I did. That was an oh, yeah, in the wild. Yeah, Sea World doesn't count for me. So as soon as I saw those out in the uh, the river over there, I was like, this is awesome.
0: Steve kept saying, "We got to get back before it gets dark. We got to get back for it gets dark. Uh, we got to get back before the fog." And I was like, "But you have to have dessert."
1: Yes. Well, and the two-for-one two for, two for one lobster, too. Yeah, and the two-for-one lobster.
0: So uh, on the way back, um, it was one of the more interesting boat adventures I've had. Uh, we were, uh, and thanks to our fabulous captain, uh, Steve Williams, thank you very much. Big shout out to you for your amazing abilities in uh, avoiding all of the lobster trap lines, the rock outcroppings, uh, the wicked currents. Uh, that ripped through the area we were going um, and doing all of that in some of the darkest night, thickest fog I have ever experienced.
1: Yes, yeah, so it, like, it was just like uh, Stephen King's The Mist. Just uh, <laughs> It was eerie.
0: <laughs> so uh, Wednesday, uh, you and I, Carter, um, departed Wisconsin and went down to Laconia with some pretty heavy uh, headwinds, which we would experience for the rest of the trip.
1: Yes, um, talk about slow flying, slow flight I mean, without <laughs> no flaps or anything, just slow flight in general, um, just navigating left and right, trying to trying to avoid terrain and and just keep truck along if like we could,
0: so we had just again got the news while we were on the trip that we had won the uh uh hearing uh, the the ruling at nineteen mile bay so Just conveniently, we had to go to Lacodia, which is on the south shore of Lake Winnipesaukee. So we had to do a touch and go at 19 Mile Bay after the victory.
1: To get our toes wet in the water, we just touched down, lifted right off, and we're like, man, this victory feels so
0: sweet. (laughs) Yes, it was... uh, Nothing more rewarding than winning a very hard-fought battle and then coming back and getting to do uh, within a landing. The week.
1: We found out within the week yeah. or a few days, and the next thing you know, you're landing back in Lake Winnipesaukee right afterwards. So that it was awesome. awesome.
0: So uh, then we went to uh, Laconia um, and filled up and uh, departed for Rome, New York.
1: Rome, New York, yes. Uh, uh,
0: low ceilings and headwinds and he mountains. <laughs>
1: Um, stopped at the millionaire there. That was a pretty good facility. Uh, we heard somebody in the pattern talking to us. And then next thing you know, we land, we're looking out we're looking for the plane. And then we just hear like a small buzzing noise. We're like, what is that? And it was, Oh, someone's flying a drone in the pattern. Yeah. UAV.
0: We were, yeah, they were doing touch and goes with a UAV, uh, at the, the airport, Uh, and talking to the, the, talking to the pilot, wherever he was, God knows where he was. Uh, but, uh, we had a, first time I've ever been in the pattern of a controlled airport with a UAV. So, uh, that was pretty cool. And again, this is like another 8,000 foot runway. It was crazy.
1: Top it off. And then we get in the FBO and we find a waterfly magazine that, uh, our chairman of the board, Steve Williams, uh, had dropped back off on his way back from Moshkosh as well. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was cool. Uh, That was a pretty long leg. That was like 3.1 hours. Uh, And then we did the granddaddy uh, leg, Uh, Rome, New York, uh, to Salem Park, Ohio, um, which uh, we were legal. uh, But uh, through fuels, (laughs) we'll just say uh, very leaned out fuel consumption, uh, we flew 4.8 hours from uh, Rome, New York, uh, to uh, Salem Park, uh, Ohio. And thankfully, I have uh, larger than normal fuel tanks uh, in the Super Cub as well. But we landed there just at sunset, and uh, we got there, and no fuel. No fuel. (laughs) There's
1: a cardboard tape to the the, uh, gas station. And and no one around. And
0: And it was a little 3,400-foot strip. um, Again, very kind of uh, indescript airport, uh, very small on the brink of closing. It had been... Closed and then it had been there had been a battle for the ownership of the airport, and that's why there was no fuel there.
1: No one to contract it from.
0: So we had to get back in the airplane, uh, take off and go over to Youngstown with another 9,000 foot runway. We were in the pattern with some C 130s, yes, and uh, I think Ospreys too, and uh, uh, that were operating there. We overnighted in Youngstown, got up, uh, the next and <laughs> Got up the next morning, got our $8 plus a gallon fuel. Oh,
1: my Lord. That was expensive. I think it's the most expensive I've ever seen fuel.
0: Uh, and, but it was pretty cool. We took off out of there. Uh, again, uh, areas of the country that I really had had a chance to fly over and uh, went over Cleveland, directly over the top of Cleveland International, uh, flew along Lake Erie. I think we flew over or next to four three or four of the Great Lakes yep. on the flight. Uh, we went right along Cedar Point Amusement Park. Yep. Um, had a really weird gunnery area that we passed. Artillery in
1: the water, and first we see two large smokestacks. We're like, is it the power plant that's
0: uh,
1: out of the area? Or, and then we're like, no, there's, there's artillery guns set up right there shooting over <laughs> in the Lake Erie. That's kind of cool.
0: So that was pretty cool. We stopped at uh, Coldwater, uh, Michigan, uh, in the middle of farm country, uh, up in the key of Michigan. Uh, and without knowing it, uh, the guy that owned the FBO and the maintenance operation there maintains Randy Strebig's uh, airplanes, uh, who's our Indiana field director.
1: Yeah. We uh, pull up and he says, wow, nice Super Cub on Amphibs. And we're just chit-chatting. He's like, hey, do you do you happen to know who Randy Strebig is? And He's like, yeah, I know Randy Strebig. And he's like, I maintain his TBM. No way. <laughs> yeah, we just saw him in Greenville, actually, with his mall. So, And then that was a, a really cool conversation. and
0: Lots of seaplane photos up in the airport, even though there was not a lot of water uh, around. And uh, so uh, had lunch there, nice little restaurant. Yeah. Uh, and then had the boogie because we went from there, um, uh, which was Coldwater, I guess, uh, Michigan, And headed west with a low ceiling. We were hoping to kind of pick our way higher, but we couldn't. And uh, did something else, another first. Got to cross Lake Michigan.
1: Yes, that was a... Never been in the middle of the continental United States and near Canada and not been able to see anything but water. (laughs) <laughs> just straight water and you then you just see a barge going by and it's like holy cow you never or really, a freighter or a freighter or, exactly and you never realize how large the great lakes are until you traverse them and you're like i can't even see the other end of the shore and i'm you know two thousand feet in the air
0: so. yeah i think it was uh, like a hundred mile crossing uh so uh no shoreline on the opposite end uh because the visibility was so bad we were vfr but there really wasn't a horizon no and uh, so that was a, uh, a long crossing. Yes, it was. But uh, did it safely. And with uh, uh, PFDs on. With PFDs on. Yes, we did. And uh, made it to Madison, Wisconsin. Yep. Uh, for fuel. I remember
1: that. Uh, I remember we had some, we had some apples. We are stacking on some apples real quick. Got some gas. Uh, used the head. Kind of what you and Slade experienced uh, next to the fence. <laughs> just uh, no really bathrooms around. Just And then uh, kept going.
0: Yep. Moray field, uh, Charlie 29, uh, was where that was and, uh, then headed from there, uh, to South St. Paul. We were hoping to make it to Brainerd, uh, that day, but because of our late start, uh, we weren't going to make it. So, uh, from Moray, uh, in Madison to South St. Paul, it was, uh, 2.9 hours. That was the third, I think the third flight of the day. And, um, we were fighting number one, the sunset, but number two, a line of storms that was right over Minneapolis.
1: Yep, it was uh, a kind of, kind of decision we had to make right then and there. Is uh, all right. Well, this weather's blocking us, so we'll just stop over at South St. Paul and, and uh, give a uh, nice little warm welcome to winter or <laughs> a nice little hello. So, but no one was. Everyone was already over in Brainerd, so there's no
0: one there. Yeah, there's so much to say about this trip, and and we're trying to do it very briefly. Uh, because I think each one of the flights we could really elaborate a lot on. I know, again, going from Oray in Madison over to South St. Paul, I saw the most striking uh, designs. I don't know what – they weren't intentional, but the way that they were uh, harvesting the crops, um, it was like something out of an art gallery. That It was incredibly uh, uh, beautiful, uh, but also um, – with the the terrain and and the way they were harvesting, going up and over and around the terrain, it made some very interesting visual uh, lines. Uh, lines from the air, and um, that was that was pretty cool and and rewarding. Uh, but there's just so much, and and then we got to to whip air, park the airplane, uh, got an Uber. And we're sitting at a McDonald's. Best and
1: Uber ride of my life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> got
1: rear-ended sitting in a drive through I don't think we had moved for, what, five minutes? We were already still, we were just sitting still. We were just talking about how... We
0: had been talking about how hard it was to make a living as an Uber driver. For this guy. This, for this guy.
1: a nice, what, GMC Yukon? Or, so yeah, oh, brand was new. Brand new 2020. We're just sitting there. Haven't moved for five minutes. And then...
0: Got next rear-ended.
1: Next thing you know, our, our heads are kind of leaning forward. And what the heck just happened? Did we just get hit. Did someone <laughs> just run into the person behind us, and then they hit us. And nope, just this guy just pulled forward right into the back of this. It was,
0: a, it was a underage kid with a, like a learner's permit, and his from car from another state. From another state, <laughs> and his car ended up under our Uber vehicle. And um, the guy's like, "What do I do?" And I'm like, "Well, you have to call nine one one and get the cops to come out." And um, uh, we just sat there and. Uh, Waited till it was all done. Got our dinner and went to the hotel. (laughs) So uh, next morning, uh, we were under pressure to get out to Madden's Resort uh, because uh, we had uh, the Minnesota uh, Seaplane Pilots Association Safety Seminar to go to. And uh, we had to set up a booth and I had a couple of talks to do. Uh, We had a flight. uh, We got to fly with Joe Berkmeyer, who used to run uh, Ballman floats. Uh, and we did the uh, take off and landing competition uh we went up to the headwaters of the Mississippi
1: that was the that was the start the start of your uh, your third leg yeah to with Peter but then we went up to kind of say hi to the founder Mr. Quam. and on our way we were like well since you want to fly the whole length of Mississippi let's go take a look real quick
0: yeah so we went uh, literally to um, where you can physically walk across the Mississippi River, the very where the marker is uh, denoting the beginning of the Mississippi, and uh, then we went over to Bemidji where we met Dave and went a to nice lunch.
1: Dinner and, or lunch. I don't know what it was. It was the three o'clock.
0: which was it i don't know (laughs) and then ran back to minneapolis it was kind of a theme of this whole uh 80 hours of flying was every day uh it seemed like we finished up at sunset uh so we ran back to whip air uh in south saint paul parked the airplane unloaded it
1: got another uber luckily (laughs) we didn't get rear-ended
0: you went back to florida the next day and i went to alaska
1: (laughs) exactly yep i went back to florida and that was a sad ending to my trip, but it was a great it was it was a lot of fun.
0: And then I was supposed to head back after a week in Alaska, go back to Minneapolis where Peter was going to meet me. But then we had a little hurricane come. So um uh I had to rush back to Florida instead of Minneapolis and uh we actually had two hurricanes.
3: <laughs> yeah, we did. And then so this our summer trip down the Mississippi River, which was supposed to be short pants and flip-flops and T-shirts, was now in mid to late November. (laughs) And three days before our departure, balmy fall weather turned into sub-zero weather or frozen. And we arrived in Minnesota
0: on... uh, on Monday, uh,
3: Monday, Sunday night, Sunday night, Monday night Sunday uh, night, Sunday night, the thirteenth of November, with a plan of leaving Tuesday morning, but the snow was there and the low visibilities, and we didn't get out till Friday.
0: Yeah, so we uh, had planned to uh, do a day of meetings at Whip Air and some podcasts. So again, the podcast equipment is being dragged around with us, and uh, we got two in, uh, and then did some prep on the airplane. Uh, But we were in teens and low 20s and blowing snow for days, waiting for it to stop.
3: And then we took off on Friday morning. Well,
0: first, I want to give a shout out to Whip Air because their crew, number one, they gave us a vehicle. Uh, Number two, they extended their support of the Seaplane Pilots Association. So thanks to everyone there. The team was so accommodating and generous with doing anything and everything we needed they had the airplane in a heated hangar uh you know they were just unbelievable and um then we departed
3: and then it was 19 degrees and i'm in the back <laughs> and, and for most of you who know what Cubs are they're not exactly airtight so i had my winter hat and long johns several pair and off we went uh got right on the mississippi and uh Again, low ceilings. I mean, we were about 1,000 feet coming down. and
0: Down the river. Yeah, down the, the river. In the snow. It was, it was uh, snow, falling snow. We
3: had, we had several miles of visibility. It, it, it was good that way. And our first stop was in
0: uh, Muscatine. Muscatine Municipal. Yeah, in Arkansas.
3: In, yeah. And uh, Steve, you got to explain this one. This is they're the Pearl Capital. Pearl, Pearl button, button Capital, capital of, the, of world.
0: the world. So if you ever looked at old shirts um where they had these colorful pearlescent buttons generally those were made out of oyster shells or uh, abalone shells or some kind of seashell and uh, muscatine arkansas was on the mississippi river and its claim to fame going back to the 1800s was it was the Pearl Button capital of the world. And we were supposed to go to Quad City, which has a seaplane base and an operator there. But they had a snowstorm uh, <laughs> sitting on top. Uh, it was going in and out. It was kind of our preferred stop because we knew that if there was snow, I had hoped that their runway was going to be plowed. Um, and that it w- and we had a, like a 27 knot crosswind but we had that wind was directly down the runway at quad city. And, uh, so Muscatine was our alternate and we really didn't know what we we're going to be faced there. Uh, it was falling snow and it was so bitter cold fueling the airplane while you were sitting inside having a hot cocoa. Thank you very much.
3: <laughs> oh, well, what can I tell you? Anyway, we took off from there and our next stop was St. Louis downtown airport. And, uh, Jet aviation treated us royally, but it was only 21 degrees when we got up to take off the next day.
0: And, and true to form, we landed at sunset uh, when we went into St. Louis, but it was really beautiful because we landed downtown. Uh, we flew all the way uh, again down the river um, and then landed towards the arch uh, and kind of landed at sunset uh, with the sunset kind of backlighting the arch as we landed, which was pretty cool.
3: So we were spoiled in Minnesota because the engine was nice and warm from being inside. Yeah. But at 21 degrees in St. Louis, a cold engine, and Jet Aviation dug out an old preheater, and we were able to warm the engine up, and we were able to take off. And departing out of downtown, we asked the controls if we could go back up the river just that little bit and fly by the uh, arch, which we did. We went up and did a 180 and went back down the river. We got some good pictures. So you have to you'll look for those pictures in the magazine in the future.
0: Yeah, we hope to uh, do a story in Waterflying magazine of this whole adventure because it really was. I mean, um, uh, first time for me flying where we had to use engine heaters. Quite honestly, and uh, we were lucky uh, to find them at times, and um, I also learned some some so a lot of other tricks. But that was the first. The airplane physically would not start. It wouldn't crank. Uh, and we you spent to, about your oil was too thick, yeah, you and we spent we uh and we took some photos of it, and we poured uh we of course, we hadn't switched to multi weight oil, which was a lesson learned, and uh poured the hundred weight or actually, should i say squeezed it out of the the oil container and it went into the the funnel and just sat there and looked at me uh and uh so that kind of gave us an indication of what the oil was like in the airplane, so uh we spent over a half hour blowing hot air in there. And uh, then once we got the engine started, let it run for another 25 minutes to warm it up uh, before we could uh, take off. Yeah. But that was a great leg. So we left out of St. Louis and uh, flew low level along the Mississippi River. Yeah,
3: the, whole, the, whole, the whole trip was yeah. 1,000 feet. Or yeah. less. Or, or less. I mean, yeah. whether the skies were clear or not. And we managed to make it to Cairo Regional in Illinois. Um, oh, we had to. St- we had to much, do it. I drank too much coffee. We had so to do an environmental stop. Yeah, we had an environmental stop. <laughs> so only an hour point seven later, we had to stop and do a bathroom break in, in Cairo. And the and the the thing about this is uh, we uh, uh, Mark Twombly. Uh, landed at Cairo. He also had to do a bathroom break. So when, when he, he was
0: flying the Sea Ray up to Oshkosh right, exactly. a couple, of years, a couple ago. of
3: years ago, so that was like wow, you were there too. This is a, a one runway, one guy sitting in the in the office. A very super warm, guy.
0: Oh, terrific. so accommodating. He's like, take whatever you want. Where there's all kinds of snacks over there, and uh, take whatever you want. And the significant part of uh, Cairo, and it's Cairo, Illinois. Uh, is it's right at the confluence of the Ohio River and the Mississippi River. So it's right at the the fork where the two rivers meet in between between them. Uh, So it was kind of a neat place.
3: Yeah. Anyway, so we continue on, and we needed gas later on, and we stopped at Arkansas International. (laughs) Uh, That sounds like a big deal. And there was one person at the airport. That was it. We could Uh, not find an FBO, or the office was not open. There was a gas pump out front. But, but that's, that's
0: where like, they had all that's the, the boneyard. The, the boneyard. Yeah,
3: there were probably upwards of Whew. seventy-five or eighty airliners, airliners. that were, yeah. you know, put into storage. It was it was an amazing sight, and not one person on the airport. Yeah, so that was very cool. Uh, and then we went on to Memphis, and that's where we uh, we stopped at uh, uh,
0: Memphis General Dewitt Spain. We were going to go to Memphis West, which right. was in Arkansas. And as we were flying down the river, I said, well, we can't, it's sunset, we have to fly by downtown, right down the Mississippi, uh, by downtown Men- uh, Memphis. And we looked and there was this little airport there. <laughs> so I was like, what is it? And let's call them up and see if they're there.
3: And and they and they treated us royally and what a great little airport. Yeah. And they got a heater for us the next morning and they had to borrow. That one, one wasn't
0: the, so good. Right.
3: But <laughs> so, they borrowed it from the flight school and they got us going. And that was where the guy, the the guy who ran the office, he knew the fellows from uh, Minnesota. They had a stopped jam- there. Yeah, yeah had so.
0: had a shirt that he had from uh, the Minnesota uh, SPA, It yeah, was really really very cool. So we had a dinner um, at uh, the Peabody, uh, where the ducks uh, go to the fountain uh, every day, and I had a nice dinner there. And uh, I have to say, you know, if you've heard about the water levels in the Mississippi River, uh, how, the, how dry the Mississippi is and how the shipping has been impacted by the uh, low water levels. Every set of locks that we went south, uh, the river got drier and the sandbars got larger. And you could see a dramatic difference as we went south um, of how the river was getting narrower and shallower and the shipping lane was getting more constricted, um, remarkably. Uh, and by the time we got to Memphis, it started getting pretty dramatic. Yeah. Um, so uh, next morning, but
3: Memphis. Wait a minute, it was only twenty three degrees. I'm still freezing. Twenty eight. Twenty eight. No, twenty three. Okay. No, no, twenty three <laughs> degrees. Right. Now somewhere along this, Steve, we went to the confluence of the Arkansas River. That was south of Memphis. Okay and tell us that story, because you went and landed.
0: Yeah, yeah, so Got we it. did some landings in the Mississippi, uh, which was done with great caution, because it is ugly. There is uh, the current in the Mississippi, uh, the amount of debris, uh, trees, root balls, you uh, wrecks of, of barges that are rotting. Uh, there there is so many hazards um, in the Mississippi. It it really was a landing that had to be well thought out. There was, were a lot of places to land, and, and if you had the, the time to go camping, uh, or if you had big tires, if you were flying with 29 or 31-inch tires on a Super Cub, you would have had infinite places to land and go camping. Uh, but uh, we did some landings in the Mississippi, and I, I really had to pull myself back because I didn't want to stop. <laughs> and then we passed over another confluence, which was the Arkansas River, and uh tell I closed that story. well, I'll let you tell this story What well, we saw we did some dragging runs because it was really difficult it It wasn't even navigable the The water flow was so poor you couldn't navigate a boat through the Arkansas River to the Mississippi, and again, trees everywhere uh littered throughout the water uh that had come downstream. Uh, but we found a couple of places, we, and we landed, and uh, what we thought was a root ball ended up being something else.
3: Yeah, we, we come down, and you aborted that, that landing, if I recall. So there's some logs there, and you put the power back to it. And what were they? It was two deer crossing well, the a, river.
0: Well, we were on step. We were taken oh. back off. We had done a touch and go. And, uh, and I was like, there's the root ball on the right side, and the root ball was, was antlers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
3: Anyway, that, that, was, that was really pretty cool.
0: We stopped at Vicksburg for gas. Nice guy. Mike uh, so yeah. gave you a hard time.
3: <laughs> and then we on into New Orleans. and uh, Another we, sunset landing. Yeah, you know, we have uh, a sunset every time. But uh, we, we were pretty much radio free. We were so low that ATC was, it wasn't that easy. But at Baton Rouge, we picked up ATC and then. Went on into New Orleans approach and then...
0: Uh, oh, we saw one of the river cruise ships, the brand new river cruise right. ships, uh, just outside of Baton Rouge. And Baton Rouge uh, was um, interesting because it was all oil storage and oil refinery. And uh, picked up ATC and uh, told them we wanted to go to Southern Seaplanes, And we wanted to get clearance to go along the river directly in there. And they worked with us great. And we were, again, chasing the sun, trying to beat the sunset uh, but uh, found uh, uh, 65 Lima Alpha, which can be a challenge. Uh, right next to the uh, the Navy, which controls the airspace there, had left for the night.
3: Yeah, New Orleans, yeah, the uh, Alvin uh, call under field, and you, needed a pr- you need approval because uh, their delta encompasses the, the seaplane, uh, base. seaplane
0: base. Yeah. So southern seaplanes has both a, a little canal that you can land in plus a runway, mm-hmm. but it is not what people would look for as an airport it's it's literally in the middle of this industrial zone where they manufacture oil equipment and uh, barges and again you have a 500 foot ceiling because of the navy base and uh, we were going in there at sunset trying to find this uh, needle in the haystack which we did had a good landing there Uh, thankfully the team at southern seaplanes lyle and lacy and emil and Rhonda. Uh, the, uh, uh, Pinapino family that runs Southern seaplanes. It's a very historic old, uh, old family seaplane base and operation. And they've got a little crash pad for wayward pilots, which we utilized. Yeah. Uh, got mm-hmm. some dinner. Uh, next day we, we did, mm-hmm. we accomplished the mission, which was get to get to the, uh, Delta where the Mississippi met the Gulf of Mexico. And we did that, uh, in a very unique airplane.
3: That's right. Uh, it was a Geronimo, which is of course the forerunner to the uh, uh, Aztec. Yeah, that PA twenty three. Right, and it was just it was a delightful flight. You got you got to fly it. I had to sit <laughs> in the back. Somehow seniority just I have none. So at any rate, so we we had a wonderful time there. Lyle was very generous too.
0: Yeah, he planes. was. They he said you got to fly the airplane, and of course I wasn't going to um, uh, argue with him, and it cut our trip. We were kind of working against uh, time. And it would have been twice as long in the Super Cub. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I had wanted to fly that airplane. It's the only one in the United States, as far as I know, on floats. Mm-hmm. And a very unique airplane, 500-horsepower, twin-engine float plane. And uh, has the same useful load as a Beaver. I'm sure we'll do a podcast on it. And you can go to Southern Seaplanes and fly this airplane. And get your multi and, and get, get your, your multi-sea. C. C. Mm-hmm. Uh, But uh, we flew it uh, down to the Delta, did a couple of water operations in it, and kind of did a little flight test on the airplane, got up the next morning, and we had a mission to get home before Thanksgiving. So uh, we departed out of there, flew along the coast of uh, Louisiana, uh, off the Chandelier Islands, along Biloxi, and uh, then we had a surprise uh, going over Alabama. No, bl-
3: well, we, we, Gulf Shores was the first stop on that.
0: Well, we had the Blue Angels.
3: Oh, right. Off to the right over the... Uh, exactly. Over Alabama. Yeah, over there, the shore of Alabama. Some, I'm down looking at the map. And, uh, <laughs> Steve says, oh, Blue Angels. And I look out and there they were over the Gulf just doing all kinds of stuff. And and there was a ceiling that day. So they were low, if you recall. Yeah, they like, were
0: just doing yeah. uh, practice formation flight. And it seemed like they kind of followed us along the shoreline because they are they were off the wingtip for like a half hour, and I know the Super Cub is slow, but <laughs> for a half hour, they, they I think they were, you know, I, they were trying not to wear out the airspace, I guess, as they practiced or something. But they were alongside us, and uh, then we landed at uh, uh, Jack Edwards was the first stop, uh, just on the Alabama side, I think. Before you get to Florida in the Panhandle, yeah.
3: and, then, uh, and then the next stop was
0: Northwest uh,
3: uh, Florida, uh, Panama I, City. Yeah, okay. but we
0: flew all that all that military airspace. Uh, we flew about four hundred feet uh, down the beach uh, from Pensacola through the Pensacola Naval Airspace, uh, then uh, Herbert Field, then Eglin, uh, and all that. Military airspace, but we just cruised down the beautiful uh, shoreline there along the the Florida Panhandle. Yeah, saw porpoise uh, schools of porpoise mm-hmm. uh, right along the shoreline.
3: Our, our last gas stop was Northwest Florida. Uh, stopped at Shelter. They had really good coffee there, if you remember. We, <laughs> we enjoyed that, and then it was nonstop back to uh, to uh, Winter Haven, and that was another. Sunset Landing, the sun was It was, was. Just uh, with a low ceiling. <laughs> yeah, a
0: low ceiling. So was that a was a uh, that was a long uh, flight as well, three point eight hours. Uh, that, so we were working on that, and uh, Mary so was twenty
3: six and a half hours. Was the uh, flight from S- South St. Paul to touchdown
0: in Winterhaven? There you go, and, and that completed the journey and got us home in time for Thanksgiving. Uh, So uh, just to review this flight, uh, the flight actually occurred from July 3rd, and I actually, from July 3rd to November 22nd was when we finished the whole uh, great loop. Uh, And we had some side trips and uh, AOPA event in Tampa and uh, Tavares splash in. Uh, all in between and a trip to Alaska in between and AirVenture in between uh, this uh, five-month journey uh, to make it around and ended up being uh, something like 5,058 miles, um, 80 hours exactly of flying and 40 uh, legs of flying uh, total. And I by design i wanted each one of you guys uh to to join and get the experience of doing a long cross country in an anfib so yeah it was amazing but somewhere the math doesn't add up
2: <laughs> i'm getting 17 hours in the super cup and peter got 26 <laughs> <laughs> and so then 26 plus 17 carter got minus more, 80 uh, whatever carter got the math's not adding up here you know i mean i got i guess the most states but
1: I'm getting 30, 37 hours. Does that sound right, Steve? <laughs> <Nah>.
0: <laughs> so, uh, but Slade, you, you flew over the most states. And so, again, uh, there were 25 states that we flew over or across at some point in the journey. Uh, so you uh, flew the most states by far.
2: Yeah. Because of the New England. You're right. So we're going up and hitting all the smaller states. So I, I, I ticked a lot off on, on the, on the way up there, but shortest, shortest, uh, a trip out of all three, unfortunately, but it was still just amazing getting to fly up the, the East coast and, and getting to see that whole, the whole area from uh, from a view I'd never uh, been able to see it from before.
0: And all three legs were dramatically different for me. Um, the landscape, the weather um, was dramatically different uh carter what 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 stood out to you um
1: um honestly the great lakes is what stood out to me the most i mean just the vast size you see them on a map yeah they look big but i mean you know you can't really you can't really tell until you're right there especially at that altitude you're not very high up either but it's just traversing those um and then as you're going west um just it goes from you know mountains to flat
0: the amount Rarely of open quickly. space in New York and the the beauty of those mountains and how wooded they were really yes. was kind of a education they to me. They were
1: great, and they weren't like huge mountains, but they were still, it was enough for a Super Cub needed to go around them a little bit. but With then, a ceiling. Exactly, with a ceiling as well. Um, but then it slowly got flatter and flatter, which is kind of cool. And then you get to Wisconsin and in Michigan, where all those cornfields are that we uh, look forward to every July as we drive up to
3: Oshkosh.
0: We need more coal, as Peter would say. <laughs> So, so, Peter?
3: Yeah, well, you know, uh, one thing has been uh, is evident to me and, and, and to you fellows as well is we have a big country here, and it's a beautiful country, and still a lot of open space out there. So get yourself out there and and enjoy what we have and the freedoms we have. And thanks, Steve. You do a lot of work towards that freedom.
0: Thank you. And And that was part of the importance of this is, number one, I like to do trips that inspire other people. But to be able to live the dream and quite honestly, it's the largest cross country other than when I did our our trip with Doug DeVree around Australia, where we were raising money and filming the documentary. Uh, This is was really an epic trip. And to be able to share it and and again, by design, have each one of you fly a major, major cross country uh, in a Super Cub for a Super Cub uh, around the country and to be able to share that was so important and to break that up. And uh, so, you know, I I feel very fortunate to even be in a position to do that. And uh, it's a joy to fly with you guys. And I think, you know, again, as the executive director, it was important. Um, Peter, you've been a pilot for decades. Uh, You have tons of experience. You've owned many airplanes, but you haven't done as much seaplane flying. So um,
3: yeah, that's correct.
0: Yeah. So uh, for you, it was a little bit different. And for Slade and Carter, I mean, you guys are, you know, early in your careers. And so this was a a great uh, experience building trip. It's
3: an eye opener for them, hopefully.
2: Oh, absolutely. This is my first big cross country like that in a seaplane. And so being able, uh, you know, I'd never done a, a cross country to this, uh, to this size with a, a plane as slow as the super cup on Amphib. So it was, it was amazing. What are you saying? What are you saying? <laughs> it's no F-18, that's for sure. Um, but it was just amazing the, the whole trip, you know, I, I, I just love the, the big cross countries like that. I think the longest one I had done prior to that was, uh, from Lakeland, uh, international up to, um, Greenville, South Carolina. So, you know, I almost... Pretty much doubled maybe two and a half times my previous longest cross country was this one, so just absolutely fantastic and i it was an eye opener for sure life changing uh trip I would say i
1: mean for me, this was my longest cross country done ever i mean single engine land or single engine sea uh, i think the the furthest north I had been or furthest leg I'd ever flown i mean at least by myself was to Leesburg <laughs> so I mean that and then doing something from Maine to, to Minnesota and in a Super Cub but granted I did also did in a 152 so that's also pretty slow um, was pretty eye opening and it was a it was a great great adventure for me as well
0: and, and uh, uh, compliments to you all as co-pilots so uh, you made the flight a lot easier having you guys uh, make the flight with me so uh, hats off to you all This has been a long podcast. We're uh, over an hour in length, but uh, we wanted to try to jam it in. We thought this story was important to share and uh, a nice way to kind of cap out the year. And uh, really, hats off to you guys. I'm glad we could make it productive. We celebrated some victories of our advocacy efforts. We attended the largest seaplane event in the world. We attended a safety seminar in Minnesota with the Minnesota SPA and got to. Uh, do the trip of a lifetime, including headwaters to the uh, Gulf of Mexico along the Mississippi, which was a, a a big journey that I had always wanted to do. It was a bucket list item. And uh, we've talked about doing that trip uh, as a member trip uh, in the future. And it was a way to kind of see the challenges that we would be faced with to do that as a group um, it, it, and kind of learn, uh, you know, what the challenges were of operating in the Mississippi and, and everything else. So Thanks to you all uh, for uh, joining us uh, on the flight. Glad to be here. Yeah,
1: well, that was great. And then now you guys finished off in New Orleans, and just for us to go back there and start the the new year off there for our board meeting. Yeah, so, we'll be yeah. back
0: over at Southern Seaplanes for next year's uh, annual board meeting in January. So, uh, so you, so one of you will be doing the trip back with me. <laughs> I think it's you, Carter. So. All right, flip, we'll flip
1: a coin. We got a three sided coin. <laughs>
0: So uh I uh, hope you've enjoyed this kind of extended episode of Waterflying podcast and uh look forward to reading uh the story and seeing the photos uh in a future uh issue of Waterflying. there's uh pressure to to write this down and and get it uh assembled into a magazine article and uh e- happy holidays to all of you listeners thank you for making uh Waterflying such a popular podcast please share it with your friends hope you've enjoyed this uh again extended uh uh, podcast talking about this incredible journey doing the great loop by amphibious super cub and uh, until next time uh, be well and uh, fly safe and fly off my friends we are so glad you joined us today if you like today's show i highly encourage you to join the seaplane pilots association and become a member of the largest seaplane community in the world members receive water flying the only full-color glossy magazine dedicated to the seaplane community. And it's available in both printed and digital form. Your membership also includes access to the Water Landing Directory app, which has the Seaplane Flight School directory and a calendar of seaplane events, not only here in the United States, but around the world. The association hosts regular educational workshops, safety seminars, and gatherings for seaplane pilots and anyone with a passion for seaplanes. So look us up online at seaplanes.org, join our community, and support our mission of protecting and promoting waterflying.